Real Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Today, Paul is ticked off at the wine industry. Well, not the whole wine industry, just some of it. Small piece? Yeah, pretty small. Me? Well, you are small, but uh, <laughs> another piece, another reason. Okay. Well, just check them. Well, actually, I know why Paul is ticked, and I am too. We've run into some horrible wine descriptions lately, and not only are they gibberish, which, as you all know, they also drive people away from wine. Good, nice, hardworking people, and we're driving them away. Those people need wine. Yeah, absolutely. When you hear it, folks, you're going to get ticked off, too. And uh, with one of those descriptions, we're going to read for you in just a second. Also today, we have listener questions about how restaurants price wine and about what's the deal with racy acidity. Plus, we have a historic history moment. Oh, I saw those trumpet guys in the green room. I'm yeah. looking forward they're to that. They're warming up. They're stretching. They're doing their thing. I yeah, love yeah, those yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as usual, of course, we're going to make fun of wine snobs, especially the ones who write horrific descriptions. A couple of reminders, by the way. Uh, we uh, we are now still uh, still we are still on the Capital Public Radio podcast lineup. They have not. <laughs> they haven't taken us off. They yet. have not wised up, Paul. That's a little, <laughs> little frightening because this is a pretty good station, otherwise. Um, and and this is an invitation to you folks out there: is that we're going to be taping a show live at Four Fires at Amador County Fairground, which is a really interesting wine and food festival in Plymouth. Yep. On May six, that's May six, Saturday. Can you name what the Four Fires are? Yes, there's uh, there's coal. There's no. It's the places where the it's wines the come places. from. So this is right. It's about where their wines it's, come from. So one is the one Iberian Peninsula, Spain, Spain and Portugal, right? One Another is France. Italy. One is France, and, and then one, one is California. Right. So those so, those are the yeah. four. And that's the whole point is that the wines from that region come from these four places. They'll have foods from the same regions. Yep. Um, and they'll have us. Yep. And we are, of course, come from all four of those regions. Do we? No, actually, I come from California. Okay. Okay, good. But I have I have Italy in my heart, if that matters. <laughs> All right, before we do too much of this, let's. <laughs> in any case, uh, come see us, heckle us, ask yeah. us a question. Yeah, yeah, ask us a question. All right, that would be fun. So, okay, so first we're going to start for this absolutely terrible and absolutely typical bit of wine descriptions. Paul, you brought this up. Yeah. And you, yeah, you, I, you tell me, you asked your friends about this. I asked a bunch of friends of mine who are not in the wine industry, uh, but who like wine. And every single one of them said that not only was this description useless, it actually made them want to run screaming away from, they never wanted to buy wine after reading right. this. Yes. Way to go wine industry. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah right. Well, let's, let's read, read you a bit of this, folks, before you, and then you can go run screaming. If you haven't already, just listening <laughs> to the start of our show. So, wine name removed so we don't get sued is deep purple color, aromas of rich dark currants, nectarine skins, gushing blackberry, but lots of fragrant tobacco, rich soil, white flowers, smashed minerals, Ah! and metal, (laughs) medium body, and saucy but racy acidity stabilizes the wine nicely with a robust talent. Tannins. That's oh, just part of it. Man, yeah. Then it goes on. Deep red currants and ripe cherries, laden with mocha, loamy soil, charred herbs, pencil shavings, roasted hazelnut, dense like characters that make it perfect for cellaring. However, it is drinkable straight away once you expose it to the earth's atmosphere. That might be air, but I'm just guessing. This is a delicious Sonoma Cabernet. It has been matured for 24 months in two-year-old 55% Troncé and 45% Vosges Oak. 95 points. Certainly not for the... I mean, I mean, I mean, so before Paul he, Paul's head explodes about the smash minerals, we're going to talk about the overall, and then we're going to get to that one. But first off, could you be... I, I mean... 
<laughs> no, is, you could, could you be more be. snobby? No, you couldn't is, be more it idiotic. It is so self-important. Yes, you know it is. It's this is look how cool I am. Laden with mocha, loamy soil, charred herbs, pencil shavings, and roasted hazelnuts. Uh, yes, I think something's laden. All right, yeah. I think someone's loaded, but that's a completely different question. Yeah, and this is this is we loaded. May need to remind. This is like a sip of wine, right? So he's got right. I don't know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, fourteen thing, or fifteen descriptors. The thing I think that's fun is he suggests exposing it to the Earth's atmosphere. Yes, I d maybe he means the upper atmosphere. I was wondering if they wanted to take this up in the shuttle or something. Yes, and then just open it a little bit and let the little <laughs> droplets sort of drift away. <laughs> maybe he's pointing out that some people expose their wine to, say, the Venusian or Martian atmosphere. Well, that's of, possible, right? Yeah, yes. I can see why I there would be a confusion. Sulfur, sulfur or chlorine might actually affect a wine slightly different than oxygen. <laughs> that's entirely possible. So he's saying drink it here on Earth. Okay. Drink it here on Earth. Yes. That's good advice. Yes. That is very you know, good advice. I mean, but, so besides this just knuckleheaded list of things is the ridiculous phrasing. And, and we run yes. across this so often in bad wine writing. Not any good wine writing, but this sense that you can't use an actual straightforward sentence. You have to use phrases like the Earth's atmosphere. It's just <laughs> gushing well, blackberry as opposed then, to blackberry. And then one of my favorites here is white flowers. White flowers, right. Which right? ones? Well, either lilies or could be oleanders, could be daffodils, could be gardenias, I think, all of which smell completely different, but white flowers. I think it's chameleon. Camellias. Because they don't there have any go. smell. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then, of course, it has our favorite phrase of all, Rick. Smashed minerals. Well, this is it's bad enough minerals. This is smashed minerals. Smashed minerals. So I, first, before we get go down this road too far, I just want to know how, <laughs> let's say the mineral is iron. Yeah. How smashed iron would smell or taste any differently than unsmashed iron. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to I, I still want to see somebody out there with a hammer. <laughs> I want to see them pounding away on rocks and I want to see them. And it's sulfur, talc. Gypsum, asbestos. Yes. Hmm. Well, I'm so, not sure I want some of those smashed minerals well, in my brain. Well, here's the thing, Paul. How many minerals are there? Uh, gosh, there's a bunch because on the Probably table more of than, elements. Probably more than a handful. Yes, the periodic right. table of elements is about 102 or something like right. that. It's like, not all of which, yeah. Are, not all minerals, but right. right. So which smash minerals, if that were actually something that well, somebody were going to taste? Here's the good part, which is there are only a couple of smashed minerals that if you smash them with a hammer actually emit something that you can smell. So he could have just picked one or two of them, but he said all of them. Yeah. I, I assume it's a he. Yes, is this is is this was well yeah you you found yeah, this yeah, I, yeah. yeah this um yeah oh yeah it, it just it rims with that you know. yeah yeah uh, so, I'm gonna go smash some minerals right now right so the, so the question that we keep <laughs> we keep dealing with was why does this keep happening and and because nobody ever tells these idiots to stop. I think that's a huge piece of it. I mean, you know, jargon is natural in, in any industry. No, I I, but, I had this at a wine competition recently. I told you, I, I'm tasting and one of the guys used a descriptor and I said, time out, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as a wax lemon. And he says, well, no, you're right. But what I really mean is, you know, that waxy coating on the lemon. I said, why don't you just say lemon peel? Yeah. Well, but that's slightly different. I said, come on. Yeah, he's right, 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 right. Yeah, and, but wax lemon. Wax lemon, yeah. Now, well, the only is... wax lemon I know are the ones you buy in home decorating scores. They're well, little... that's what I thought you, that guy might be talking about. Right. In, in this case, 
who knows what this guy's talking about? You know, and you're right. Nobody ever tells them otherwise. And and I think it is one of the bad things. There's, there's a certain kind of blindness in every industry about jargon, but in wine writing in particular, yep. which is that people imitate the people before them. So when somebody's been doing something— they always try some, to take it one step further. Right. Because that's how you know when you're really good. Yes. Yeah. To be bigger. But it, you know, I always, think, be, I always have this simple. image of wine writers saying, if I have seen farther than other people, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. I keep seeing them whack their head into the top of doorways as they're walking. <laughs> they whack, you know. Every time I try to <laughs> stand on the shoulder of a giant, he throws me right off, <laughs> kicks me in the ribs and moves on. <laughs> That's why I'm always sore. <laughs> so, you know, and there's um, – but, but there is that. And, you know, it's – funny in writing in the writing world this is really a little in some ways off the subject but not you know i talk to college classes a lot about writing and, and often make the the point that you know it's really common in academic writing to you know circle and criticize writing that they call colloquial right. meaning it's how people actually speak right so you're not supposed to write in how people speak and i right. always say no 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 when you see that that means that person thinks he's telling you how not to do it but he's telling you, you did a good job there right. and then the professor goes a little nuts and tries would you please explain to me why people shouldn't write in a way that somebody would understand it and they can't but right. that's what happens there's this thing where you sort of feel like you should affect some sense of something in your writing i suppose it's just <laughs> Communicate, <laughs> right? Well, speaking of communicating, okay. I think I what think you got for we us? got some questions. No, I thought so. We're going to communicate. We're going to communicate to some folks about some of their wine questions and or really. I don't think any relationship problems today. And lucky for you, listeners. By the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, the home of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, which is of course our show. And if you're listening, the website is the place. Go ahead and ask us something. All right. This is from Ashley in Lake Oswego, which is just outside of Portland. Cool. How do rest? This is a good question. How do restaurants price their wine? See, if you ask us a question, we will praise you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we won't make fun of your smashed minerals. No, we won't. Uh, yes. Uh, so how do restaurants price their wines, Ashley asks. Is there a standard formula? And how do they come up with the prices for real old wines that they have? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the, the first one is relatively simple, which is, yes, there are a couple of different formulas that restaurants use, depending on where you are in the country and all the rest. But in general, you can expect a restaurant to mark up the wine about somewhere between two and three times retail. Yeah, I can tell you, as somebody put in a lot of restaurant wine lists in my time before yes. I don't do that anymore, but I usually took the uh, price of the bottle to us. Right, to as, the restaurant. As the cost of the glass, a glass of wine. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, I would, depending on the restaurant, mark it down or up by 50 cents or a dollar. Right. Um, and then multiply that by four. Uh -huh. for the price of the bottle right. and then drop that by a dollar or so to encourage somebody to, to buy a bottle of wine. Right. So that's, that's, that, yeah. that is a pretty standard industry way of doing it. And yep. depending on the restaurant, there are – you know the more expensive the restaurant, the, the more expansive that formula might be and the well, less expensive, maybe a little reduced. You also get in the scenario where a, a restaurant that has a broad price, a spectrum of prices may mark up the lower priced wines a little more. Yes. May mark up the higher priced wines a little less. Yes. That is pretty common. Because they're yes. trying to move If somebody all has that. Yeah. And then now and then, you know, and that silly thing about the second 
the best wine is the second one on the list, and, you know, in any kind of restaurant. Yeah. And so Actually, I, I've often found that the best tasting bottle is the second one I drink that night. Yes. <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> and, you, and you forget the price of it, so it feels cheap until That's you look right. at the bill. The, uh, now, so, the other question is what the, what's the price for an older bottle of wine? How do they price that? And, and that is tough. And that is simply what the restaurant decides. It, it, there is no system. It's not easy. Uh, and it really just depends on the restaurant and the wine. Although some people mark them way up, other people don't. There's no recipe at all for marking up wines that are no longer in in common distribution. Yeah, that is that's really a, just a t- sense of touch and feel, and and yep. and, and that is uh, you know the people who are going to have older wines are going to be slightly more expensive places, and then they want right. you to f- you know sometimes the price is reflects. The image they want to project, which is that this is a very good. Well, bottle and sometimes of wine. they're down to their last one or two of those yep. bottles, which means the prices go up because they don't want to take them off the list. They like saying they've got that 1945 Cheval Blanc on the list, but they sure don't want to sell it. Yeah, and and if you do, if they do have a handful of any old wine on the list, they've been storing it for a while, and there's a mm-hmm. cost to that too. Yeah, so you've yeah. got to give them a little of that. Yeah. All right, the next one is from Lawrence in Oakland. Mm-hmm. He kind of makes our case about wine descriptions for us. He says. I read wine. I read wine magazines to learn about wine, and I want to find wines that I like. But I'll never under. I never understand the tasting notes. <laughs> and why do they always talk about acid? And it's always racy or razor or something. That sounds awful. There you go. <laughs> See here. We're, here we're back to what is it that most consumers want out of a bottle of wine? Smooth. Smooth. And a lot and of rich might be next. Yeah. And a lot of people who write about wine talk about that acidity, what makes the wine taste fresh and lively in your mouth. But he's right. If you want to not sell wine in a supermarket, put the word racy, put the word fresh and refreshing. Actually, you can't use that word according to the TTB. But uh, bright acidity, all of those wines, people see those words and they run screaming from the room because that's not what they want in their wine. Yeah. And, and and Lawrence, I mean, you we, you just heard a tasting note, and you're you're darn right. They just for every, all those reasons we were just talking about of just not understanding what they're trying to do. But yep. the thing about acid, and you know, don't don't run from it. In that, if we think about the difference of orange juice, orange juice and orange like Kool Aid, uh, you know, it does have acid, and you know that because if you happen to brush your teeth before you had your orange juice, the no. sweetness in your in this toothpaste yeah. alone shows you. The, but you don't know it, and so what it does is it does give it sort of a fresh. Well, yeah, when it comes to wine, if you're ordering a bottle of wine to have with your fish dinner, you really want the wine to pretty much play the same role as the lemon to sort of cut through the fishy and the oil and the salt. I actually want my wine to sing. I don't want it to play. I want it to actually sing a song for What song do you want it to sing? Uh, uh, Row Your Boat. Row Your Boat. Yeah, Yeah. it's an ocean song, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah. So when you want a white wine, if it has some acidity, it'll do well with the fish. But I understand what Lawrence is saying, which is if he's out on the back porch one afternoon and he wants a glass of wine, he doesn't necessarily want the acidity. He just wants the nice flavors of the wine. Yeah, yeah. And and it is it it is something. It, you know, you, you when they say that, you can take that as a bit of a warning that it's going to have a, a freshness and brightness too, but yep. it, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, Depending on what food you're 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 eating when you open that bottle of wine, right? But it is it is something that is very difficult to get across to the wine industry that that is not an attractive word to the average consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. All right. Well, that's it for question for now. We are going to have some more. You you might even say that that would be an acid test for most wine writers. You would, but we don't do puns. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. If, <laughs> if this table weren't so large, I would slap you. There's a reason but I'm then, sitting on the other I side. I think a fight on in a, a studio is never a good thing, so <laughs> I'll let it go this time, Paul. All right. We're going to have a few more questions. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and now it is time for a, a historic history moment. There you go. That's how you do it. Those oh, guys could man. write a good description on oh, that. Oh, yeah. Those guys are good. They don't, Those guys they don't waste breath. Harmonic. Yes. They are harmonic. Clear to the point. Yep. All right. So uh, we've got some a, a little bit of a history that's sort of related. Since we've been doing some horrific wine writing. We've been writing talk- about, right, Yeah. talking so, about wine writers. There's a great story or a great quote from Frank Pryle, who was the uh, wine writer for the New York Times. And one of the deans of the wine writing Many years. World. And he had a great line about wine reasons. writing. He said, the common perception of a wine writer is someone who owns a typewriter and is looking for to drink a lot of wine for free. That is completely outdated. Today, everybody uses computers. Yep. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yep. That's it. Pretty great. That's a great line. Frank. All right. So, and then mine, I'm going way, the way back machine for the history moment about wine writing. Okay. Um, you know, the Greeks and the Romans were the Western world's sort of original wine geeks. Um, and you know, and yet they they, they didn't uh, they weren't talking about ancient raisins or you know ancient smashed dates. They were they were <laughs> basically if the wines were any good. Like Horace, for example, the 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 great poet Horace wrote wines from the Sabine grape are Sabine Sabine grape yeah. are humbly cheap. Humbly cheap. Humbly cheap. That's like you and me, Rick. We're we are, humbly well, cheap. We're cheap. I'm not so sure if we're <laughs> humble enough, but we are definitely cheap. Uh, Falernian, which is the top end wine of the old day, yep. according to Horace, was strong and powerful. Pliny the Elder wrote about Falernian. This is now there is now no wine known that ranks higher. That's right. Hundred points. Yeah, 100 points. Yes. I think he gave it 100 points. Yes. Pliny, by the way, is the in vino veritas guy or right. in, in wine truth. Um, but he also warned about uh, wines from Pompeii are productive of headache, which often lasts so long as the sixth hour of the next day. So, You've had that experience, yeah, right? I, I just want to say for starters, that's good consumer help. That's advice. good consumer help. When yes. they tell you – what they tell you about the wine is how long the hangover lasts the next day, that is valuable mm-hmm. advice. That is valuable Six hours next day, I'm usually still drinking the wine. That's yeah, right. I, then I go to bed. That's right. That's the way. That's the way you do some wine writing. Okay. <laughs> All right. We've got a couple more questions, so let's get back to that. And a reminder, ask us one at rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine, our little website. Um, all right. This one it comes from uh, Alicia in Sacramento. Uh, once again, uh, this is good. This is good. She's right. Uh, why are descriptions for expensive wines always so complicated and ridiculous, but there's almost nothing about some of the cheaper ones, like the wines we all buy all the time? The most critics will say something like good fruit and a good value. And, you know, and by the way, we – I mean she's right because we talked about this once about a paper that the American Association of Wine Economics, Economics. Conference in right. 2013, a couple of years back. But this is the paper that, that showed that reviewers almost always use more expansive language for expensive bottles yep. and use simpler language for cheaper ones. It, isn't, there a, isn't there a phrase from the, from the good old days about uh, why use a nickel word when a 25-cent word – yeah. 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 And, and it's – it's that sort of thinking that if the wine must be expensive, I got to pull out my thesaurus. Right. And, and yeah, it, yeah. the pr- professorus thesaurus comes out. It is. And that's the exact <laughs> thing that we were just talking about. This somehow like you have to sound important to describe something. It's, right. It's a, it's, a, it's a condition that runs across all kinds of descriptive writing, but it's really – it is most 
you know, at a disease level in the wine world, unfortunately. Right. Although, uh, yeah, it's the, yeah, I'm still, what's his name? Roger and the famous thesaurus that has all of the words you can use. And I just see these guys, you know, at one point years ago, there was a guy who wrote a software program that just allowed you to pick words at random. And it wrote wine descriptions that was just about uh, as... I have a link to a random wine description generator. We're, we're going to do a show or we'll, we'll bring some of those in and see if they sound anything how, like... How, how will we be able to tell them from the real things? Well, I'll know you won't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can test me. Yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, Alicia, <clears throat> the other side of this formula is true, too, which is that critics don't want to be caught writing about wines that everybody drinks because it's uncool. Right. Well, it's yeah, and this goes back to your television days when right. you, know, you, you got to review the shows that people are watching. You can't right. review the other stuff. Right. You know, uh, a, a movie critic that I'm a big fan of, a guy named Anthony Lane, writes for the New Yorker. You know, he writes reviews about horror films and yeah. you know superhero flicks and yeah. and good you know and and subtle small movies too. He's right. doing his job. Yep. You know, and and you yep. would think that wine critics should be helping people find wines they like by describing some of the less expensive ones too. There but, you go. But they don't. Okay. Our next one comes from Courtney in Windsor. Cool. Does color have anything to do with flavor? I get a wine magazine. And I, this is funny because I know what she's, where she's going. I see them talking about the wine's color a lot. What does garnet taste like? <laughs> Are they talking about the stone mineral thing? <laughs> uh, well, actually, my joke is that all wines are garnet. Yes. Right? The color of all wine is garnet. Yeah, that's any red wine. Um, and so yeah, color tell, color can tell you things about the wine, but in to be perfectly honest, it doesn't tell you as much as most wine writers think it does. Uh, it can tell you whether the wine's oxidized because if it's turning brown. So if you go through a whole class on sensory analysis, they'll tell you how to use color to it. But when you're just opening a bottle of wine at home, whether it is deep garnet or medium garnet or dark garnet or medium light, it doesn't matter. And, and, and just drink the wine. And especially when the wine is at a stage where it's ready to be drank. I mean, the colors start to show age and some other things right. going but when on. when it's released, they're all right. pretty. Now, some people will say lighter color, lighter wine, but it's simply not true. You yeah, can, yeah. you know, light color Pinot Noir can be have a great Pinot punch, Noir right? can right. be Pinot Noir Sangiovese yeah. are lighter colored wines. They still have plenty of flavor. Just, just close your eyes. Just do what you do with your wife. Close your eyes. Open your mouth. Kiss her, and it's going to be good. I didn't. Well, I'm. I'm not even going to touch that. <laughs> well, I, I, there you go. Every place I would go would get both of us in trouble. So I'm just going <laughs> to let that alone. Um, but yeah, there's. Uh, and the reason why they write about it so often is because it's because they it, have to have at least fifty words in the description, and that gives them a good five right there just to get started. Well, and if you go through any of the sort of those training courses, there's a grid, the sommelier grid, right. and and there are. On sight alone, five things to analyze. It's the brightness, the clarity, the color. That's for an entirely different reason. It is not for writing a tasting note to help somebody understand whether or not they want to buy that wine. Right. And so you know, it, it makes them feel like they're doing their jobs to tell you that the wine is garnet or straw or whatever it is. Um, but actually what they ought to be doing is somebody ought to be taking that stone mineral garnet and th- tossing it. at those guys. Smashing it. Yep. All right. Smashing those garnets. We got one more. Um, and if anybody uh, has been outside this winter, they will understand this question. This is from Kathy and Lodi. So how does all the rain we've been getting affect the vineyards? Well, it makes them wet. <laughs> okay, Kathy, I'm being there silly. There we go. We've been working on a drought for about five years. Hopefully this is um, this is 
reconstituting some of the aquifers deep down inside the yeah, earth. Yeah. Uh, what you want in a good year from a vineyard is you want it to be completely dormant. I'm going to argue that the rain is hydrating the soil. That's good. Uh, but the other thing so is it's that washing it. these, cold, these cold temperatures are also really making the vines go a bit more dormant than they might right. on one of these warm springs. So longer dormancy sometimes means a little better flavor. But the truth is we'll find out in right. September and yeah. October. And a couple of things to actually to, uh, a reminder too is that you know in, in, fundamentally all the vines are asleep right now. They are dormant. They're just Much, take, like many of our listeners. They are hibernating. Well, they are now at the end of the show for <laughs> sure. Yes. I almost am. And I've been you – know, I'm listening to me. But uh, – and so now we know Rick does talk. So in fundamentally, <laughs> grapevines actually are, are a really good uh, crop for enduring uh, a winter because they right. nothing really affects them. One of the things that's happened across California, though, uh, with these, these heavy rains, is that it helps sort of wash the salts and, and cleanses yep. the soil. It sort of gets the you know the the smashed minerals. Or, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> could resist this. Right. Uh, washing those ro- smashed minerals out ro- of your hair. And so so in some ways, the the, the soil is refreshed for more ways than one. Yep. one one of the things that's going to be interesting to see is with all of this water, whether it's going to be a quote unquote vigorous year, meaning the gr- the vines will grow fast once they do right. start growing, right. which what might mean more work in the fields for um, for the the crews out there, and it may yep. mean a, a bigger crop this year. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll but see. but nothing bad. The good news is, uh, Kathy, it, it's all good. It's all good. It's just like us. <laughs> it's even better now because we're closing the show. <laughs> That's right. So that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the wondrous Matt Bassini. Thank, Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for having the courage to put us on their podcast lineup. Yes. And uh, come ask us a question and come see us at Amador Four Fires in Plymouth in Amador County on May 6th. If you learned anything today, we hope it's don't be a show off. And maybe a better lesson is when you describe something, try to be helpful. It's not about you. It's about the people you're talking or writing to. And now you're just showing off. Okay. Uh, I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> and I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us, but never with show offs.